are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Now tonight, in this message, for these few moments I have, let me speak to you on seven words to live by. Would you do me a favor? Would you take your Bible in the back of it? I wish you'd do it in the Bible if you can. On the blank page in the back. And write down the seven words to live by. Listen carefully. At the end of the service, would it be asking too much? I would like to sign your Bible. I know it might be a problem, but after the service, if I can, or in the morning, whenever I can, I want to sign alongside these seven words to live by. And I want you to hold to them. And I think they mean much to you, much to this great college as you begin, much to your fine workers, all of you, and to all of us. Seven words to live by. What is word number one? Word number one is faith. F-A-I-T-H. Mark eleven twenty two. Have faith in God. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Put down the word of faith. That's the word to live by. And you must have it. To be saved, there must be faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Faith is the big word. Your salvation. And then your life. All of it comes by living by faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Oh, my friend, you must have it. Without it, you'll worry. You'll fret. Without it, you'll have nervous breakdowns. Without it, you'll fail unless you have faith in God. That's for your home. That's for your business. That's for your church. That's for your Sunday school class. That's for everything you do. There must be faith in God. Now, where do you get your faith? Get your faith from the Bible. This is the Word of God. Read this book and stand by. Here is God's book and God is speaking to you. Have faith in God and rest upon this Holy Word. God cannot fail. God cannot lie and depend upon Him. Have faith in God. Then, get your faith from past experience. Has God ever failed you? Not once. He never will fail you. He cannot fail you. God cannot fail. And God never failed you, not once. Thirdly, get your faith from what God has done for others. Take Hebrews 11. That great faith chapter, Hebrews 11. And rest upon what God has done for others. And what He did for them, He'll do for you. For God has no respect for persons. And He'll love you and care for you and will be with you. Exercise your faith in God. Have great faith in God. And believe in God with all of your heart. I had a crazy dream the other, other morning. I don't dream much. Uh, but once in a while I do. And this time I had one. I got out of bed and wrote the thing down. It was so strange. How in the world I could dream a dream like that? I don't know. But I had a dream that I went to Chicago to visit Jack Hiles. Excuse me. I know all the things going on at this hour. Every one of them. But I want you to hear my story. He met me and took me to, to, to Hammond to his church. When I got there, around the church was a great mass of people. I said, Ben, what are they doing? He said, look up in the air. I looked up on the top of the First Baptist Church in Hammond, and there stood a man. And all the people looking up at him. And the fellow standing up there holding his Bible in his hand. I said, uh, Jack, what's the fellow doing? He said, he's preaching on faith. Well, I said, that's a great subject. And I said, uh, preach away, brother, up on top of the roof, way up there. And there must have been 50,000 people uh, gathered around. 
And uh, he's up there preaching on faith. I said, that's wonderful. I said, I hope he has faith. He said, well, he's preaching on it. Now he said, when that man finishes preaching, he's going to walk over to the edge of the building and jump off to demonstrate his faith. Well, I said, that'll be something. Going to jump off the building to demonstrate his faith. He said, that's right. Then Jack said to me with a twinkle in his eye, he said, that man doesn't have any faith. Therefore, we have a net down here to catch him. And when he jumps off, we catch him in the net. Well, I said, that's kind of you. I appreciate that. I said, that'll save the fellow's life, I'm sure. Thank you. That's, that's nice. And then he turned to me and said, now, Brother Robertson, when he finishes jumping off, we're going to let you go up there and preach. I said, on top of the building. He said, on top of the building. I said, what you want me to preach? He said, preach on faith. Preach on have faith in God. And you're to have faith. And when you get through, you're to jump off. He said, but in your case, we don't have a net. That's when I woke up. That's when I woke up. That's always the time to wake up. Just before something happened. Wait a minute. I want you to get the story. I want you to think of having faith in God and rest him on that. That's number one. Here's a second word. Put down the word obedience. Put down the word obedience. And here's a word to live by every day of your life. Simply rest upon the Lord and obey His commands. And write down with that, if you will, John 14, 15. John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. Obey Him in baptism. If you're saved, you ought to be baptized. You ought to obey the Lord in baptism. If you're saved, you ought to attend church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You ought to be in the house of God. If you love it, you ought to be a tither. Every child of God ought to be a tither, and more than a tither. If you love it, you ought to witness for Him. And ye should be witnesses unto me. I'm saying that you ought to obey the Lord. And there's a word that you need to live by every day. Make up your mind once and for all, this is it. I'm going to obey my God. Many church members that I know, good people, but God bless their hearts. They get up Sunday morning. They look out the window to see how the weather's going. Well, a little bad that they don't believe it go to church. No, my friend, that's not the way to live. That's not the way to live. You don't need to look outside. Look within your heart and say, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to make Him first every day of my life. And on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, He's going to be first. And I'm going to follow Him. And I'm going to obey my blessed Lord. And there's the significance and the importance of that word. Obedience and hold of that word. And write down the Scripture for the side of it so you have it. Then me give you word number three. Word number three is the word consecration. Consecration. And the side of you write down uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren... By the mercy of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The matter of giving yourself to the Lord in holy consecration of life. Now that calls for a separation from the world. You can't be consecrated when you're mingling with the world. You've got to be separated from the world. And you've got to say, Lord, I want your will to be done in my life. And if I'm going to be a consecrated Christian, then there must be separation. And when I live a separate life, something else happens. Then I can pray and get answers. I can pray and get answers. But if I fail to be separated from the world and consecrated to God, I do not get answers to my prayers. 
if I re- if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. And you kind of engage in sin. Again, if only the fullness of the Spirit of God, if only be filled with the Spirit of God, there must be consecration. No use for you to say, Oh Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me power. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. There's got to be an openness and a cleanliness of your life and a purity of life if God's going to fill and use you. He wants to fill you. There must be consecration of life. Hold that in your thinking and hang on to it all the time. Consecration and the importance of it. That's word number three. Word number four. Word number four. Put down the word service. Word number four. And this is the word service. And right beside of that, if you will, Mark 10, 43 and 44. Mark 10, 43 and 44. But so shall not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Servant of all. The Son of God was a servant. Oh, that's a strange word for this day. Everybody, everybody wants to be a big shot. Nobody wants to be a servant. In the church, they want to be big shots. They want to be something special. In the world, they want to be big, big top men, uh, big officials, and big administrators, and they don't want to get them. But the Lord Jesus Christ was a servant. Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. The Son of God, a servant. And you should say, Oh God, this is my desire. I want to serve God with all of my heart. I was in a church in Middle Tennessee. Had a man sitting on the second row. Fine looking fellow. Middle age. And taking notes in his Bible. When he finished the service, I was down in front to shake hands with the people. I saw him put his Bible down the, in the pew and walk over the side of the building, a beautiful big new church building, open up a door, take out the carpet sweeping, a broom and a cloth, a few things, and walked over and took the pulpit stand, began wiping it off, then down to the table in the front. Then he plugged in the carpet sweep, began working on the carpet, and, uh, and just working away. I thought, to myself, that's a strange thing. That fellow sitting in the second row, all dressed up in a beautiful suit of clothes and tie, and now up here working on the church. I said, Pastor, who is this man? He said, he's the janitor. Well, I said, that's interesting. I said, I don't see that happen very often. Uh, not very often. On the second row, the janitor sitting there, uh, Bible in hand, taking notes, and uh, dressed in a fine suit of clothes and tie. He said, did you, did you look at him? I said, sure. He said, look again. I looked again. And looked the next time over the side working, I discovered the fellow had only one arm. The right arm he had, the left arm was gone. The sleeve hanging by his, by his coat, uh, just empty and, and waving, an empty sleeve. I said, you mean that that man keeps the church clean, working with one arm? He said, we have the cleanest church in America. There's nothing like it. And really, he was, he was honest. I never saw anything clean in my life, inside and outside. And this one, this man did it all. Well, I said, there's some story. He said, sure is. He went overseas in the last war. In the midst of a battle, enemy bullet came and tore away his left arm. He was in the hospital about six months. He got well. And they sent him back to the stage discharged from the army, of course. And he came back to my church. And he said, he walked in front of my desk one day and stood there with that one arm. He said, Pastor, I want something I can do for God for the rest of my days. I have enough to live on. I want to serve God in some way all of my life. And he said, uh, give me a job. And he said, I said to him, well, sir, we don't have any, anything you can do except be a janitor. He said, I'll do that. I like that. With one requirement, you can't pay me a penny. I will not take a penny for my service. I want to work and serve God. And he said, for many, many months, he's been doing that. 
and the buildings and the outside clean as a pin and doing his work. Wait a minute, that's service. He could have sat down and do nothing. But he didn't. He was serving and believing that God could use him. Now that story appealed to me and I saw the man, they won't forget him. I can I can relate to his appearance and I can see him in my in my mind. But I had something happen just a little while ago. Strange as could be. I was preaching up in Baltimore, Maryland. At the end of the service, a man came up to me and said, I want to shake your hand. He's from one of the deacons of the church. Well, I said, I'm glad to meet you, sir. And we shook hands and talked for a few moments, and he walked away. I said, Pastor, Pastor just met one of your deacons. He said, that man? He, I said, yes, sir. Oh, he said, what a man. He said, he is the wealthiest man in Baltimore. Without question, he's a multi-millionaire. Nobody knows how much he has. And he's one of the deacons and a good man. And a Sunday school teacher. He said, he's a great, great fellow. And he told all about him. And uh, I thought of that man coming up and so humbly shaking hands and having a word to say and going on. But Sunday night came along, a priest in the same church and gave an invitation, a good response, and the service came to a close and the people going out the doors and they saw the multi-millionaire moving around, picking up a sewing books, putting them in the racks. And then he went back in the back. Saw him closing windows and doors. I heard the noise of his work in the back. I said, Pastor, what is that millionaire doing? He said, he's doing what he's been doing now for many weeks. He came to me and he said, Pastor, I don't do a thing all week long but sit behind the desk and give orders. He said, I want God to use me in some way. I like to use my hands in serving God as well as teaching the Sunday school class and be a soul winner and a deacon. I want to use my hands. He said, Pastor, would you let me clean up the church every Sunday night and make it ready for Monday morning when the class is open for the day school? And he said for a number of weeks, he's been doing exactly that. His wife goes home in one car, keeps the nose there. He stays three and four hours and works all by himself. No one helping him all by himself for three or four hours cleaning up the church. And then he goes home. And week after week, no, isn't it? That's a picture of service. I want you to hold the that. And say, oh God, let me be a servant. Let me do something for God. Let me do anything I can in the church, in my community, to help others and to point others to the Lamb of God. I want God to use me. I want to be of service in some way. I want my life to be used by the blessed Lord. Oh, my friend, we need that today. I've been a pastor of one church, the last church I pastored, 40 years and six months. And I saw the change from 1946, 42 when I began, 42 when I began until I retired at 83, at 1983. And uh, I saw the change in people. Uh, people in this day and time, they want to hire it done, you know. Huh? Uh, let's pay them to get it done. Uh, and uh, they, they're not willing to put out some effort to serve God in the church, in a school like this great school, and to do things with your own hands by your own ability to trust God. Now have faith in God and say, oh God, use me. as a Live with that word. There's the word to live by. Live with the word service, service, service. And God will bless you and bless you mightily if you'll do it. Well, let's come to another word. This should be word number five, I believe. Put down the word watchfulness. This is the word to live by. The word is watchfulness. And let me give you a verse to go with that. Write down Matthew twenty five thirteen. Matthew twenty five thirteen. Watch therefore, for you know neither day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Watch therefore. 
Ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son Christ is coming again. Fifteen hundred times in your Bible the second coming is mentioned. Think of it. Over and over again. He's coming. He's coming. He may come at any moment. He come tonight. May come tomorrow. May come next week. He can come any time. And we should be watching and ready always for the return of our Savior. For when He comes, we're going up. The saved will be changed in a moment and caught up. The dead in Christ will be raised and we meet the Lord of the air. And we come before Him at the judgment seat of Christ. Have we been serving God lovingly? That will come out at the judgment seat. Have we been serving God willingly? That will come out. Have we been serving God unselfishly? That will come out. Have we been serving God faithfully? That will come out at the judgment seat of Christ. And that day is coming. Be watchful and be ready for the coming of our blessed Savior. Oh, what a marvelous truth in the Word of God. Pre-millennial, the coming of Christ. He may come in any moment. He is coming to reign upon the earth. He is coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming for the accomplishment of great and mighty things for, for the children of God. And all of this is in the Word of God. And praise God for your attitude here, this great pastor and this evangelist and this uh, president of your school and your teachers who are all believers in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Watchfulness and be watchful and ready every moment. Jesus is coming again. Well, let's come on to number six. The sixth word I want to give you is the word compassion. Here is a word to live by, compassion. Oh, what a need in this hour. We've lost so much. But here's a place where people do not care. And we get disturbed when a plane goes down out in Sioux City, Iowa. And some scores of people are killed. But we soon forget that. And we go on our way. And we're disturbed only a little bit. And we lose our compassion. We're not concerned for others. Listen to the Word of God. In Matthew 9.36. Matthew 9.36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Compassion. The Son of God cared. Do you care? How much do you care? How much do you care for others? Are you willing to visit, to knock on doors, and tell people of Jesus? Or do you simply say, well, I, I don't visit, I don't try to win souls, I give my money to the church, and I don't care much about nations, but I go along with them. No, my friend, we've got to care. The cry, no man careth for my soul, is one that ought to stir us. And we should be concerned about others. And let compassion be the, the part of our, our, our lives, our personalities, that would change us and keep us concerned and caring all of the days of our life. I'm glad you mentioned about the boy being saved in Holland Park. In the 40 years, six months I was in Holland Park, we had the unique joy of baptizing over 61,000 people. 61,000 people. I, I baptized literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Oh, what, how I did enjoy. But my dear friend, I get the same joy right now out of one soul coming to the Savior that I got 40 years ago. I just finished preaching up in Greensboro, North Carolina. Just finished. And a man got saved at the end of the service on the, the last, my last night there. Great big fellow. I went back and spoke. I said, Sir, are you saved? He said, No, I'm not. I said, You want to be? He said, Yes, I'd like to be. 
I took him back to the back room, took my Bible, laid him to the floor. Twenty-four years old, six feet, three inches tall, a father of a beautiful little baby, six months old. Oh, and what joy. I saw him stand there weeping, big tears coursing down his cheeks. And he said, thank God I'm saved. Thank God. Thank God. said, nobody, nobody else ever talked to me. You're the first one to speak to me. And he said, I'm glad I'm saved. Don't lose your compassion. Go after souls and press upon them the need of Christ. And you love them with all your heart. Well, they'll laugh at you sometime. They'll scoff at you, but you go anyway. Just keep on going. Pay no mind to that. In Chattanooga, a man walked down Market Street in our city. Right down the street. That's the busiest street in town, downtown. Walked down Market Street. He left the sidewalk and stepped into the parking lot. He made about six or eight steps, I guess, in the parking lot, about 15 feet. And the gravel parking lot. And as he stepped in there, two men jumped on him. They beat him to the ground. They kicked his face. They put his hands in the gravel and stepped on his hands. They kicked his body. They kicked his, body, his legs, his feet. They pushed him around. And for a long time, the two of them beat. And he cried for help. And right on the sidewalk, 15 feet away, were hundreds of feet walking by. Not a soul stopped to help him. Not a one. These two men just beat, beat him. They stole his money, $91, out of his pocket. And left him there bleeding on the, on the, on the gravel. And he's still crying for help. And finally a policeman came along and saw him and called the ambulance from the Erlanger Hospital, the big hospital of Chattanooga. They came and picked him up to the hospital. When I heard about it, I went to see him. I went in his room. I never saw a fellow so bruised and beaten. He said, I don't have a bone broken as far as I know. But he said, Brother Robertson, I'm that way over my whole body. His face was black and blue and scarred. And where they kicked his face, his hands were tragic looking things. Where they ground his hands in the gravel. And he said, they beat on me and they kicked me and they stole my money. I cried for help. I, I did all I could. He told me the whole story. And then he stopped and looked at me and said, Brother Robertson, What's wrong with the world? I can tell you what's wrong with the world. The world doesn't care. The world doesn't care. But my friends, we've got to care. We must care. We are the children of God. And we must have compassion. We must follow our Lord who looked on the multitude and had compassion upon them. We've got to care. I've been preaching out in Topeka, Kansas. I had a man to drive me into Kansas City to the airport. I got there after midnight. My plane was leaving at 2 o'clock for Atlanta. And so I was sitting there waiting. The fellow came to sit on the side of me. And uh, had a newspaper, reading the newspaper. And I sat there. I was tired, weary. But he finished reading the paper and threw it down the seat and walked away. Well, I had a few moments and so I picked it up. And he had taken the newspaper and folded the thing in a way. He'd been reading one article on page one. And he folded the pages over, and there it was. And when I picked the thing up, it came right before my eyes. What was the story? He had been reading, and I read the story of a mother teaching her five-year-old son how to make his ABCs. And it told the story that she was sitting at the table with a boy, and with a pencil and paper, and was showing the boy how to make his ABC, little fellow five. And she'd make them, and now son, you make them, and he'd try and he failed. And two or three times he failed. And the father came walking in, and saw it and said, Mother, let me show him how. She said, all right. She got up, the father sat down, and took the pencil, and showed the boy how to make his ABCs, and said, son, do them just like your daddy. And the boy took the pencil and tried. 
But the boy failed, showed Dad, made him again. He said, now, son, watch carefully. Here's the way you do it, and do it this way. The boy tried again, and failed. When he failed the second time, the father got up in his chair and reached down and took the boy's little arms in his big hands and crushed him in his hands and raised the boy up in the air and threw him on the floor and cried and stepped on his body with his feet and broke every bone in his body, fractured his skull. The, the paper said the boy's in the hospital unconscious at the point of death. And the father find the bars of the county jail. But that made me plain mad. And brother, I got up. I woke that, took that paper in my hand. I walked up and down that airport. And I said, if I could see a man like that, if I could do it, I'd beat him into a pulp. A man who would treat his own five-year-old son in a shameful way like that. What an awful tragedy. And I was getting excited there at one o'clock in the morning about that story. And all of a sudden, as I walked the aisles of that airport with that paper in my hand, the Lord spoke to me. The Lord said, you're excited about a mother and a father and a boy you've never seen. He said, in coming to their homes within two blocks of your church where people are going to hell, and you've never been to see them yet. They're lost. They're condemned. You've had no compassion upon them. Your heart was moved by the newspaper account. But they're the people out near you. He was right. The night when I told you that story, your heart was moved, and some of you men said that's a dastardly thing for a man to do, to treat his own boy that way. But my dear friend, let your heart be moved by the lost souls around you, lost and condemned and going to hell. Say, oh God, I want to be a soul winner. I want to do my best for my blessed Lord. Word number seven. Put down the word, please. The word is faithfulness. Faithfulness. That's word number seven. I hope you've got them all down. Right now with that word, if you will, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. The matter of faithfulness, in season, out of season, winter and summer, hot and cold, rain and shine, always faithful unto the Lord. In every season of life, in every part of life, you're faithful and do exactly what God wants you to do. Let God have His way. Let God take your life and say, this is my determination to be faithful. I mentioned a while ago getting saved at 14 years of age. I was a big, overgrown country boy living on the edge of Louisville. I got saved. I got baptized. My mother and father got saved after I did. We were all three baptized at the same time. But when I got saved, the pastor didn't say anything. Nobody else said anything. But something came to me. I don't know what it was. I'm sure the Lord was dealing with me. And I said, I'm saved now. I made my mind up. I'm going to church every Sunday morning and every Sunday night every Wednesday night for the rest of my life. I'm never going to miss and then I said, I'm going to be a tither. I heard the preacher preach on tithing. I'm going to be a tither. And I'm going to read my Bible every day and pray every day. And way back there, just after I got saved, I made the determination. I wrote it down. I said, this is it. After all of these years, I still have the same determination and the same resolution that I want to be faithful to my Lord in every way. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'm going to be a tither more than a tither. I'm going to be a soul winner. I want to read my Bible and pray every day, every day, every day. I want God to have the first place this matter of faithfulness. Faithfulness. Won't you say it tonight in your heart? I want to be faithful to my Lord. I want to be what God wants me to be. And above all, 
to be faithful in witnessing for Jesus and winning precious souls to the loving Savior. I lived one time in the YMCA in Birmingham, Alabama. I came out of the Y one day. I was on 20th Street in Birmingham in the old days. I came out the front door, and as I did, I was met by a mass of people standing all over the sidewalk and back up against the door. I got out in the, in the sidewalk. I looked and got over inside of the crowd, and down on the sidewalk in the center of the circle was a little long-eared red cur dog. And I saw the dog on the sidewalk, and all of a sudden he began performing. I never saw a dog do that in my life. I love dogs. My dog never did a thing but eat and sleep. And that little thing was just performing one trick after the other. And I never saw it. It amazed me. And I watched that dog like the people did. But all of a sudden, I thought to myself, wait a minute, I see the dog. But who's giving the orders? Who's the master? I looked around the circle. A circle of white faces all the way around. Every single bit. Uh, everyone a white face. All, until it got back to the street next to the telephone post. And there were leaning up against the post a black young man about 20 or 21 years of age, dressed in faded blue overalls, hatless. And he leaned up against the post. And when I looked at him, I saw his lips move. A whisper, I couldn't even hear it. They whispered. But every time he whispered, that dog obeyed. Every time. Every time. I said, that's amazing. He never shouted. Didn't crack any whips. Didn't fire a pistol. He whispered. And the dog obeyed. And he went through all that long business of the, of the tricks that he was performing. And when he finished, he walked over to his master's side and stood there. I was right. He belonged to the black boy. And I watched him. The people threw down nickels and dimes and quarters. And the boy went over and picked up money between his pockets. And when they were gone, I walked over to the boy. I said, son, that's the best trained dog I ever saw in my life. I never saw one like that. He said, yes, sir. I said, who trained him? He said, I did. I got him with his a little puff. I could hold him in one hand. And I began training him. And he said, I trained him and told him all of these things. I think he's the best dog in the world. That's where the little boy talked. Well, I said, I sure like that. I said, son, would you sell that dog? He said, oh, no, not for all the money in the world. I said, oh, you're bragging now. Every man has his price. He said, no, sir, I mean it. I said, well, let's try it out. I said, suppose I gave you $15 for your dog, and you take the money, and I take the dog. Would that be all right? He said, no, sir. I wouldn't sell it for anything. Well, I said, let me raise the then. I'll raise it up to 50. Would you take $50 for your dog? And I'll give you 50, and I'll take the dog and go on my way. He said, no, sir. No, sir. No. He's fine. He obeys me. He obeys. Well, I said, I'll make it so you can't say no. I'm, I'm just going to go all out. I said, son, I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to give you $150 for your dog. A little ordinary cur dog. That you've taught, I'll give the money, and you go buy yourself a dog, get what you want to. But here's the money, you take it. I know you take it. He said, No, sir. Not for all the money in the whole world. I said, Are you a Christian? He said, I sure am. He said, I've been born again. I said, I'm glad to hear it. I said, I'm glad to meet one man that has something you wouldn't sell for a price. In this dirty world of ours, people are selling themselves out for a price. I said, I want to shake your hand. I shook his hand and walked down the street. I got in front of the old joy young restaurant. Chinese restaurant about a block away. I looked back up the street. And there stood the boy next to the telephone post. And down by his side was that long-eared red cur dog. And when I looked back up the street, as the boy stood there, the dog was looking up into his master's face. Do you know what he is waiting for? He is waiting for the next command. 
He'd been taught to obey. And obedience was the one thing that he knew above everything else. He was taught to obey. And I walked away with tears in the eyes. I couldn't help it. I said, Lord, that's the way I want to be. I want to be found obedient to my Lord. Obedient in every way for the rest of my life. In every way to whatever God says. The still, small voice, whatever may come, I want to obey Him and do His will. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org.